Hello, friends, and welcome to Everyday Truth with Kurt Skelly. We're here to show that the Bible is relevant to your life every single day, and we're so glad you joined us here for the conversation. Our study of the Gospel of Mark is focusing on the busy, productive, and life-changing work of Jesus in action. Now, let's join Kurt for today's episode. Hello there, friends, and welcome back to today's episode of Everyday Truths. Mark chapter 2 is our section for today, and we're actually kind of halfway through a story. We've been talking about how Jesus uh, one day was walking by the seaside. So when I say the seaside, we're talking about the Sea of Galilee, sometimes called the uh, Sea of Tiberias or the, the, the Lake of Gennesaret, all the same place. And it really is more of a lake. If you've ever been to Israel and seen the Sea of Galilee, that's one of the things that that lodges in your mind, how much smaller it is than perhaps you picture. So it's a lake that's about 13 miles uh, north to south, about eight miles at its widest from east to to west or west to east. And the, the city of Capernaum is all the way on the northern shore. So when the Bible talks about Jesus walking by the seaside, he's walking here near Capernaum because Levi is sitting at the receipt of custom right there by that big city or big big by the standards of the day. And he has said to Levi, follow me. And Levi, who is a publican, who has basically exempted himself from Jewish religious society, even being able, being able to participate in synagogue worship, is now accepted of the Lord. And what gratitude, what uh, joy he has. And so he throws a feast, and all of his publican and sinner buddies come, and Jesus is there with them. And they find a great comfort in the fact that Jesus will receive them, and Jesus will will speak with them and minister to them. Uh, But the religious crowd, they are just incensed. They cannot fathom that Jesus would spend this time with with people like that. And they even say to Jesus' disciples, how is it that he would sit, that he would resort with publicans and sinners? And we left you there uh, last episode, and we want to see how does Jesus deal with this kind of criticism? Uh, this objection by the religious crowd. Well, look at verse number 17. We're in Mark 2. Look at verse number 17, where the Bible says, when Jesus heard it, he saith unto them. So Jesus overheard this conversation. Uh, He knew what the objection was. So how does Jesus deal with this, this criticism? Verse number 17, they that are whole have no need of the physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So interesting that what how Jesus explains this is he speaks of his message. So re- remember the most important part about the mission of Jesus was not his miracle, but his message. So he speaks to the message. I came to call sinners to repentance, to a change of thinking. Remember, repent and believe the gospel. Repentance is the negative side of it. Change your mind about what you are trusting, about what you are believing, and then believe. Put your faith and trust, your firm reliance upon 
Christ and the message of the gospel, the fact that he will die and be buried and rise again, the, the good news of the saving gospel of Jesus. So Jesus is emphasizing the message, but watch what he says. I came not to call the righteous to repentance. Well, does that mean that when Jesus came to planet earth, that there are some people that are righteous that don't need to be saved, and there are some people that are sinners and they need the gospel? That's not the point. The point is some people view themselves as righteous. And Jesus said, my message really has no effect on you because you don't see the need. I came not to call the righteous to repentance. No, you don't see your need. You don't ever think the message applies to you. The religious crowd does not see their their pressing a need for salvation, for, for repentance, for any change of thinking, for forgiveness. But I came to call sinners to repentance. I, I, my message will be efficacious. My message will be applicable to those that see the need for it. That's why we often say that when we try to lead people to Christ, it's important to show them the need, their need. People will not embrace faith in Christ until they see their need for Christ. Uh, people won't have a change of mind about the, the Savior until they have a change of perspective about their need for a Savior. So we are sinners. And because we have sinned, uh, we have a dire need. And that is for salvation, for forgiveness. But until we see our need, we will never put our faith in the Savior. So that's what Jesus is driving at here. So don't be so amazed that I'm spending this time with publicans and sinners. They need the gospel. And what's ironic about that is that these religious leaders, they were more than willing to admit that they were sinners, that they needed salvation, but that they couldn't see their own need. And by not seeing their own need, they were really in a much more precarious situation, weren't they? Look at verse number uh, 18. And the disciples of John. So up until this point, it's the religious leaders that are taking umbrage with the fact that Jesus is consorting with, that he is uh, eating and drinking with these sinners, these publicans. But watch verse number 18. And the disciples of John and of the Pharisees used to fast. And they come and say unto him, why do the disciples of John and of the Pharisees fast, but thy disciples fast not? So now this is kind of the next level of criticism. So beyond just the, the scribes and the religious leaders, now you have some well-meaning people like the disciples of John. So who are they? Well, John the Baptist. Where is he? He's in prison right now, not yet beheaded for his... Um, for, for not not yet uh, uh, executed, but but in prison, and his disciples remember they've been following John. They they fast. They live these ascetic uh, lifestyle, and now they're watching the disciples of Jesus that are eating, they're drinking, they're at a party, so to speak. And the disciples of John are feeling like they have more connection with the Pharisees than they do with Jesus. And yet it was Jesus to whom John was pointing. So they're trying to figure this thing out. Well, wait a minute. You know, John pointed to Jesus. 
And yet we followed John. We, we, we fasted. We, we, we kept our body under, and now we're looking at Jesus and his disciples, and they seem like they're having so much fun, and they're partying, and they're eating, and they're drinking, and this doesn't seem right. Maybe we're wrong. Maybe the Pharisees are right. See how this is confusing? And watch how all of this is handled. Verse number 19, and Jesus said unto them, can the children of the bride chamber fast while the bridegroom is with them. As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken away from them, and then they shall fast in those days. So how does Jesus help the disciples of John that are kind of confused and they're feeling like, but maybe the Pharisees are right here because this just doesn't seem right. How does John, how does Jesus help these disciples of John? Well, he refers back to the metaphor that John used. So remember when Jesus was down in Judea and he was having a ministry with his disciples and John had not yet been arrested and he was having his ministry with his disciples. This is back in John 3. And what happened was the ministry of Jesus was actually more popular than the ministry of John. And the, the disciples of Jesus were baptizing more than the disciples of John. And the disciples of John actually got, kind of got jealous. And they went to their leader, John. They said, hey, uh, Jesus and his disciples are baptizing more than, than we are, almost like this isn't right. And remember what John told them? John said, oh, that's good. I am the friend of the bridegroom. Jesus is the bridegroom. I'm just the friend of the bridegroom that points to him. He must increase. I must decrease. This is good. So John had already identified Jesus as the bridegroom. John had already talked about the importance of the bridegroom and how he was just a friend. So now when Jesus is explaining to the disciples of John, he said, remember, I'm the bridegroom. And as long as the bridegroom in any wedding is there, there's going to be happiness. There's going to be feasting. There's going to be a wedding feast. But if the bridegroom were taken out of the way, if something happened to him, then of course there would be sadness and fasting and a different attitude. And so now in my ministry, I'm here. So there's joy. And my disciples are feasting and, and joyful about uh, what the bridegroom is accomplishing. But there will come a day when the bridegroom will be taken out of the way. He's foretelling his death. And there will be a time of great mourning and fasting. So just to understand, there are reasons and seasons. And right now, yes, there's fasting on your part because your leader has been imprisoned. But on the part of my disciples... In, the, in my ministry right now, this is a time of great popularity and joy. But don't think that those days will not be coming, for indeed they will. So I hope that makes sense. So Jesus is telling them this present joy, this present feasting and with the, with the uh, publicans and sinners, this is all part of it. But the other times will come as well. Look at what he says in verse number 21, just quickly. No man also soweth a piece of new cloth on an old garment. 
Else the new piece that filleth it up taketh away the old, and the rent is made worse. No, you don't take a new cloth and try to sew it into an old garment because the, 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 it's going to rip right where you make that, that patch. Uh, verse number 23, uh, 22, no man putteth new wine in an old bottle or old bottles. Else the new wine doth burst the bottles. When that new wine begins to ferment, it's going to cause the old bottles, which have already stretched, which be, have become brittle, it's going to cause them to burst. And the wine spills, and the bottles will be marred. But new wine must be put into new bottles. So what is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, listen, my ministry is not simply a tack on to the Old Testament. This is not, I'm not just trying to... I'm, I'm not just trying to, uh, I, I'm not just one part of a uh, an old system. No, the gospel is a radical transforming thing. It's it's new wine in new bottles. Don't expect for me to, to cram the gospel into some legalistic mold. No, I am come to give life and that to give life more abundantly. And the life that I'm bringing the message that I'm bringing is transformative. And so, yes, you're going to hear a new message and you're going to see a new way that that message brings. It's not to say that the Old Testament was wrong, but the Old Testament was not a means of salvation. The law was not a means by which people were to be made right with God. It was only a way that showed people that they need God. And the new way, the way of the gospel, is the way by which transformation takes place. And so therefore, yes, it's going to look different. Yes, it's going to be received differently. Why? Because it's the transforming gospel message of Jesus Christ. I don't think I explained that well enough, but we might have to come back to that next episode. But for now, understand that the gospel has transformative power, and it's going to look different uh, as it brings that transformation in the hearts and lives of people just like Levi and his friends. So I hope that helps today. Hope you have a great day in the Lord. We'll come back to verse number 23 next episode and finish the chapter. Hope you'll be there for that. God bless you, my friends. Thanks for taking time to listen. If you enjoy Everyday Truth, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast or share it with a friend. Until next time, God bless.